0: attention Uh, people are already um, drawn in as soon as you mention such things and that's because any discussion of sex is instantly fascinating it is a it's a natural appetite it's part of being human God created us to be sexual beings and sex is is part of his good creation not something that we should be embarrassed about after all the Bible contains one whole book which is a poem that delights in uh, sexual attraction, sexual desire. And uh, God made us this way, and, and it's a, His good gift, something that should be received with thanksgiving, within uh, the commitment of marriage. But like everything that God has created in the world, sex has become distorted by sin. Our, our culture continues to glamorize adultery, and sex outside marriage films and books and and TV dramas just keep promoting this whole idea that you know if you find someone that you fall deeply in love with you should just follow your heart and uh, begin a sexual relationship whether you're married to someone else or not follow your heart Uh, many seek to promote this sort of commitment less uh, sex as something good and normal, this hookup culture. Our media uh, kind of promotes the idea that it would be so boring to be celibate as a single person or monogamous within marriage. And uh, I, I want to assert against the, the barrage of those uh, noises out there that such ideas are demonic. And the evidence of damaged lives is all around us. Uh, Chris Hune and Vicky Price are now serving their eight-month prison sentence for perverting the course of justice. And it's been a, it's been a you know, humiliating experience for them. The presenting issue was really uh, about whether he, well, he had uh, encouraged her to take his speeding points so that he wouldn't lose his license back in 2003. But, of course, the court case just brought out all that the great heartache that flowed out of uh, the way that their 26-year-old wedding fell apart when he began an adulterous relationship uh, the affair as it is glamorously called is in fact a devastating thing to the rejected spouse it is incredibly damaging to any children and to the wider family but more significantly than that even is that to commit adultery, you are breaking the seventh of the Ten Commandments, uh, God's clear uh, uh, teaching uh, of what you should not do. You shall not commit adultery. And it has very serious consequences to obey, uh, disobey uh, God's law. And Jesus wants to teach his disciples and warn them about that in the Sermon on the Mount. So please open your Bibles to page 969. Page 969. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5 and verse uh, 27. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is God's words. And the context here is that Jesus is teaching what the life of a Christian disciple should look like. Uh, He's teaching with, with great authority about how God's law actually applies now to one of his disciples this says back in verse 17 don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them and Jesus was regularly attacking the religious leaders of his day uh, for uh, the way that they were very proud about kind of obeying God's laws in some outward way and yet missing the real point of their law uh, as it related to their heart uh, later in Matthew's Gospel, you'll hear this: uh, these words of Jesus, "Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean." In the same way, he says, you, "On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness." Now. He wanted his disciples to be totally different to that. He was calling them to have a surpassing righteousness to uh, the standards of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of their day. He didn't want them to be hypocrites. He wanted them to be truly righteous uh, with transformed hearts that desired to positively do God's will. So you'll see as he he teaches in this section, he, he doesn't minimize... God's Word. He kind of maximizes it. He helps you see not just just uh, the, the, the simple outward no, but actually what it speaks positively of what the Christian's disciples' heart is to be like. And we saw it uh, two weeks ago on the topic of murder. Do not murder. And Jesus said, well, you know, even if you hate someone in your heart, you actually are committing murder. And, and, and then this week, uh, we're looking at this second topic of adultery. The Old Testament command is pretty clear. Uh, there's only two words in the original Hebrew, and they basically equate to this no adultery. You know, which word don't we understand? It's pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward. No adultery. There's kind of no uh, exceptions. Uh, God is a God who keeps his promises. And so he expects his people who are there to reflect who he is to to also be those who keep their promises, especially the promise and the commitment of uh, their marriage promises. Jesus upheld the Old Testament teaching that the only place for a sexual relationship was within a heterosexual union between one man and one woman in marriage for a lifetime. There's not one single verse in the Bible uh, that teaches that sex outside marriage is a good thing, a morally good thing. Before we rush to kind of um, congratulate ourselves if we've never broken our marriage vows, Jesus explicitly uh, explains here that um, actually we can engage in illicit sexual activity uh, long before the actual act. Verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus was speaking to uh, male disciples, and uh, this would be equally true for women as men. And I think we need to understand first what it is not saying. Uh, It is not lust to be attracted to someone Or notice that he or she is good-looking. That's not lust. It is not lust when a man or a woman becomes um, sexually turned on without any conscious decision to do so. It is not lust to experience sexual temptation. This is normal and healthy as people have been made by God as sexual beings. The English Standard Version helps us, I think, here uh, in its translation of this verse. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is talking about here is looking with the intent to lust. Give me the next slide on. Lust is the the sinful desire to pursue any sexual activity outside of marriage. It is not the, the fleeting glance that triggers a sexual thought that is quickly dismissed from the mind that Jesus is speaking about here. It is the conscious, sensual stare. It is the gawking. It is, the, it is using um, another person to fuel your sexual imagination, to stir your sexual desire. That's what Jesus is speaking against. It's also possible to translate this verse In the following way, anyone who looks at a woman in order for her to lust. Most people don't translate that because they're not sure what to do with that. But I think what it's saying is that uh, there's a way in which a man can begin to look at a woman that uh, really is is kicking off the whole process of flirtation that could lead a woman to lust. So either way around it, lust can be an issue for, for men and women. And even though there are many steps uh, in between lustful thoughts and the act of adultery, Jesus says that actually at the point of lustful thoughts, the line has already been crossed. God who looks on the heart sees the intent of our hearts. And in God's eyes, the sin of adultery has already taken place. And this this is a serious problem. We're living in a toxic world, and we live in this sexually permissive culture, where we are bombarded with sexually provocative images everywhere. Sex is used to sell everything, and um, we have movies today that uh, would have been probably called uh, porn movies in times gone by, but they are regular eighteen, even fifteen type movies um, you've got pornography that is instantly available uh, for free on computers or smartphones that are connected to the internet and there's growing evidence to say that it's not just a male issue uh, there's a growing number of women who are uh, viewing pornography and also getting addicted to sort of very twisted erotic novels and society is starting to wake up to the damage That pornography does uh, both on those who are addicted to it and those who produce it it dehumanizes it uh, deadens it distorts healthy sexual relationships between men and women and I've sat with too many married couples where the wife is, is just breaking her heart Uh, because she's discovered that her husband is addicted to pornography in some way. To them, it feels like um, their husband has been cheating on them. And Jesus says that they have been. You know, single men, single women here, if you are using uh, pornography of whatever sort to fuel your lust, you are already cheating on your future spouse. Uh, You are already storing up in your imagination... Um, distorted images that will harm a normal healthy relationship with a future spouse And the problem with lust is that it is never satisfied it's never just one pornographic image or one pornographic erotic novel it is countless it never ends it is enslaving it is addictive it is degrading and there's a never-ending downward spiral into, into increasing depravity. That's the evidence that's out there. And Jesus wants to shock us. He wants to wake us up by telling us that we need to cut it out. Look at verse 27. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I couldn't bring myself to put a graphic up there because this, this language is, is graphic enough, isn't it? It is grotesque. Um, some, tragically in history, have taken these words and acted them out. Uh, Famously, uh, a guy called Origen of uh, Alexandria, around 200 A.D., tried to deal with his lust by uh, rolling naked on sharp thorns and even castrated himself. And the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325 expressly forbids such acts and even Origen later in life regretted his drastic measures, as you would well imagine. And he concluded that he had misinterpreted the text. Shame he hadn't worked that out earlier, really. The issue is not your physical body. That's the point. There's nothing wrong with this physical body. It is the sinful heart that drives it. And, and even just seeing this in its, in its context would let you know that Jesus is using hyper hyperbole in his language here. He's committed adultery with her in his heart. The issue here is is Heart. So the point is that even if I chop off my right hand, I've still got my left hand. If I, if I gouge out my right eye, I've still got my left eye. No, but he's not, he's not encouraging mutilation. These verses are not saying, mutilate yourself. But there are two vital things that we do need to understand from Jesus' uh, teaching here. Firstly, hell is real and should be avoided at all costs. Do you know who spoke about hell more than anybody else? It was Jesus Christ. And I, I can't think of many things more precious than having an eye that sees or, or a hand that uh, that works. You know, if someone in some twisted way was able to come up to me and say, uh, I'll give you 10 bars of gold bullion if you let me chop your right hand off well if someone to do that I choose my hand every time wouldn't you there's nothing more precious than a working hand uh, it's it's my right hand that's the most skillful I'm a right hander you know it's a, it's what I shake people's hands with I greet them with it it's it's my strongest thing I used to extract teeth with this in the good old days but Jesus says that if by losing I was a dentist by the way just so you didn't think I was some sicko that went out on the streets. People paid me to do it, they, you But Jesus says that if by losing my right hand I was to avoid my whole body being thrown into hell, I should do it. So that tells me that actually Jesus believed and taught that hell was an awful reality in verse 22 he spoke of the of the fires of hell and here he speaks of the warning of your whole body being thrown into hell the Bible does teach that um, on the final day everyone will receive a resurrection body. Some will get to enjoy heaven and some will be thrown into hell. Hell is real and it should be avoided at all costs. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. And against this uh, sexually permissive culture I I just think we need to be crystal clear what the Bible has to say for those who want to follow Christ. Um, Lust Sexual immorality is sin, and it will take us to hell. Now, the the Bible's not a killjoy on sex. It's very for sex within marriage. That's the place for it. It's God's good gift. But actually, the Bible wants to warn us that that by pursuing lust and sexual immorality now, uh, it'll be a killjoy for eternity if you go that way. That those who pursue that sort of, uh, of life unrepentantly will experience their body being thrown to hell forever. And the Bible would encourage us to, to be celibate as singles and to be monogamous in marriage because actually that is the, the way to true eternal joy. And so as we consider the serious problem of, of lust and morality, we, we need to say that lustful people need salvation that sexual sinners need a savior and that is that is the joyful good news of the christian message jesus came into the world to save sinners to save sexual sinners please do remember that uh, the way into god's kingdom is not personal achievement but repentance for verse 17 this is what jesus preached from that time on jesus began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's by turning to Jesus Christ and receiving His salvation, made possible through His death on the cross, that we can receive forgiveness for all our sins. King David, though he committed this terrible act, he received forgiveness in prospect of the cross of Christ remember how this sermon of the Sermon Mount starts it starts by describing what genuine repentance looks like in the blessings verse 3 blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven the way into the kingdom of God is by realizing and, and acknowledging our spiritual poverty our moral bankruptcy that we are sexual sinners blessed are those verse 4 who mourn who mourn over their sin, for they will be comforted. Verse six Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness righteousness, living rightly before God and before other people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How are we to come to terms with living with lust? Well, number one, we need to ac- accept our guilt. That it is wrong. And we need to accept God's forgiveness. And repentance, turn from it to Christ. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples here, the second thing we need to learn from these shocking imagery of this cutting out, gouging, cutting off, gouging out business, is that the life of Christian discipleship. Uh, The life of ongoing repentance means that we need to deal radically with the things that stir up lust within us. Uh, The theological word for this is mortification. Uh, We're not teaching mutilation. That's wrong. Uh, The Bible teaches mortification, putting to death those uh, things that lead us to sin. This is a a prayerful, God-dependent fight Uh, against anything that stirs up lust within us lust that would grow deep roots uh, into our hearts as soon as it is detected we need to we need to do violence against it we need to rip it out cut it off throw it away the the nature of sexual sin is it just kind of works its way into our lives and we play games with it we flirt with it we we let it we say well this is not going to harm me this is not going to hurt me this is just a bit of fun and and it just insinuates itself into our lives until it it deadens us spiritually and if unrepentant it will lead us to hell and so god's word is plain. christ would lovingly warn us deal radically with it as soon as you're aware of it cut it out If there are certain things that trigger your thinking and your imagination towards lust, do something radical to avoid it. If you've been viewing pornography on your smartphone, then uh, sell it. Give it away. Get a cheapo £4.95 phone that just phones people and has no internet connection. That's real practical, isn't it? If that's a problem for you, well, just get rid of it. You may not have the coolest looking phone, but you, you'll, you'll have a peace and a joy that you're, you're walking with Christ. If you know that certain books stir you to sexual fantasy, throw them away. Stop buying them. Um, I, I would urge you to tell an older Christian about it and ask them to um, pray for you and give them permission to ask you questions that would hold you accountable speak to your elder speak to someone on the staff team the nature of sexual sin is that it locks us into shame and, and 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 the very darkness of it is something that that has its power on us and to begin to expose it to the light to begin to tell other people about it and ask them to pray can be get can be be the beginning place of beginning to break it Instead of wasting time um, staying up late and flicking through the TV channels where you're going to see all sorts of things that are going to stir your lust, why don't you just commit to switching it off and going to bed, reading a good Christian book, Something's going to fill your mind with something better and more wholesome than that late night offering. There are certain places that increase your temptation. Well, choose not to go there. Find a different route. Read read books that start stirring up you to think about the greatness of God, to think about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, to understand His grace. Start memorizing wonderful promises in the Bible that hold out a better vision. There's a great one there in chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I'm sure you've had many experiences in your life where you've looked out and you've seen something of the grandeur and the beauty of God's creation and it's taken your breath away. It filled you with rapture and delight. And you just want to tell other people about it. You say, look at that, isn't that amazing? Look at that sunrise, look at that sunset, look at that view, isn't it amazing? Well, just think what it would be to one day see the God who thought of that who created that, the God of all beautiful glory, that you will see Him. Well, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There there is something greater that can enrapture our souls than the polluted images that this world offers. There There are great resources that can help you all the stats that I read say that this is a significant issue uh, even for Christians and in the book room I've asked for extra copies of this book uh, captured by better vision uh, living porn free by Tim Chester it it is full of really helpful stuff to help people break out of um, sexual patterns that are destructive and also another very good book by uh, Joshua Harris uh, sex is not the problem. Lust is. Another very good book. You can get that for five pounds today. Let's just all agree that if you go and buy the book today, it's for someone else. You, you've got a friend who will really find a lot of help with this. So everyone's got complete permission to go and buy these books. That's the problem with buying books. isn't You, you think, well, I, huh. it's not for you. It's for someone else. That's fine. I've got, I'm praying with someone who needs need this book. That's fine. We all understand that's what you're doing. So uh, if you go to my... Um, my little blog there. You can access it from the website. You can see an online booklet that you can download from Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes is software that you can ask a friend to get a list of all the websites that you go to visit. And it's a way of someone holding you accountable to your internet viewing. There are lots of practical things that you can do. Uh, The Lord Jesus came to free us from our slavery to sin and uh, I've talked to people who've been in utter despair, they'll never be able to break out of uh, sinful, destructive behavior and it's a lie, you you can Uh, the gospel is good news that can free us from the slavery of sin all sorts of sin, whether it's anger, greed, covetousness or lust there's real freedom that can be known but before I finish today, having talked about the, the seriousness of hell, and I, I can't just leave that there without saying, if you're not a Christian here today, Jesus would warn us that there is a place called hell. That if we go through life unrepentantly, that is where we are heading. And, and I would be a useless preacher if I don't offer you an opportunity today to to respond to this message of salvation. Jesus can free you from uh, your sin. He can forgive you of your sin. You can be completely cleansed. He can make you righteous. He can bring you into his kingdom. And all that you need to do is to turn to him in prayer today. In your bulletin, there's a prayer that I've had printed out. And uh, you can turn to that. It's also going to go on the screen. And I want to encourage you. Uh, can you put the whole prayer there, please? It's a simple prayer. It's not a magical prayer. But but it, a prayer like this is something you could use to respond to God today. It's acknowledging that uh, we don't deserve His gift of eternal life, that we're guilty of rebelling against Him, that we need His forgiveness. It's thanking Him for sending His Son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us so that we could be forgiven. It's thanking Him that He... The resurrection is the basis of our new life. And it's, us, and it's a prayer to say, please forgive me and change me. that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. And maybe there's some people here today and you need to pray this for the very first time. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. And I'll, I'll, I'll pray line by line. encourage you to pray along in your own heart and mind. Make it your prayer today. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that He rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Our closing hymn is what all those who've put their faith in Christ have come to see, the joy of singing the praises of our great Redeemer who breaks the power of canceled sin.